Yes, every one of us should have our souls in a place where we can come and praise Him. And uh, He uses His Word uh, to accomplish that in our lives. And so we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 20 today, uh, verses 1 through 16. I'm sure this is a familiar parable for most of us. And, uh, and then we will see um, what God has to say to us through it in a moment. But first we will read, and then we will pray. Uh, you can find that on page number 980. Again, we're looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus, continuing to teach the disciples, goes on to tell this parable, and he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And... About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you, and uh, Jesus, in telling this parable, says that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And God, our desire is to know more and more what the kingdom of heaven is like, to know more and more about your grace and how you bring us in to your kingdom on no merit of our own, but by virtue of your free and merciful grace. May we praise you this morning for your ways, for who you are, and for what it is to be a citizen in your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Prior to becoming a pastor, I I worked in the corporate world. I was a claims adjuster for an insurance company. And uh, I would receive an annual review every year. 
And during that annual review, there were basically three categories that all the employees could fall into. There was the category of does not meet expectations. And then there was the category of meets expectations. And then there was the category of exceeds expectations. And they were very clear about all the criteria that they were going to judge my performance by. And uh, the funny thing was, was that criteria always kind of shifted. So uh, one year they would really be focusing on my customer service score. Another year they'd be really focusing on uh, whether or not my estimates were, uh, you know, close to, you know, accurate. Other times they'd be focusing on how many estimates I got done in a day. And I tended to be the kind of person who would just chase the number. So if they wanted good customer service score, I'd spend more time with customers trying to make them happy. If they wanted the estimates to be accurate, I'd spend more time writing the estimates. If they wanted me to get more assignments done in the day, well, then I'd forget the estimate accuracy and I'd try to get as many assignments as I could get done in the day because I wanted to be an Exceeds employee. I wanted to be an Exceeds employee because Exceeds employees were the ones who got raises. Exceeds employees were the ones who were in position for a promotion at some point in time. So here's my question. In the Christian life, is there such thing as a Christian who just does not meet expectations, or a Christian who meets expectations, or a Christian who exceeds expectations? Think about it. And I imagine there's part of you that wants to say, well, no, but yes. Right? Because we all have this picture in our mind of the missionary who leaves everything and goes into the jungle, the hot jungle with no air conditioning where he eats bugs and he's there for 30 years and brings thousands of people to Christ. We want to say, okay, that guy, he exceeds expectations. And then there's the scenario that we could all imagine of the, of the person who struggles to even believe Jesus is real. They, they fall into the same sins over and over and over again throughout their life, and yet at the end of their life, there's, there's evidence of true faith. There's longing to be with Christ, and, and, and we have a sense of like, okay, well, that, that person's going to heaven too, because they tr- they're trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. And if we compare those two people to each other, we, we would think, okay, well, that guy seems to have exceeded expectations, and, and this other person, maybe they did not meet expectations, and the rest of us are all just trying to meet expectations, right? Give me a nice life and no hell. So, will we receive a performance review in heaven? In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to help us see the connection between our labors in the kingdom of heaven and the reward that God promises us for our labor. And as we go this morning, I just have three questions that we're going to ask and then answer. Now, the first question is, why is Jesus telling this parable? The second question is, what does, does this parable teach us? And then finally, what does this parable mean for us? Uh, so first, Why is he telling the parable? So if you remember two weeks ago when we were together last in the book of Matthew, we looked at the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, We met this young man who had everything the world he was living in could offer. He was a man, uh, he was a, a good, obedient Jew, and he was rich. And there was only one thing that he was lacking, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. 
So he believed Jesus was a good teacher, but he did not believe Jesus was worth selling everything that he owned in order to come and follow Jesus. But Peter and the disciples, we learned, they did sell everything to follow Jesus. And in their culture, leaving their father and their family business was every bit as earth-shattering as it would have been if the rich young ruler had sold all of his possessions to come and follow Jesus. And so Jesus promises the disciples that they will be rewarded. He says this, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So the disciples' reward, according to Jesus here, is that they are going to be so glorious, they're going to have such power and authority that they are going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And at this very moment, those 12 tribes were in the process of rejecting their Messiah and their King. And not only that, Jesus says, but everyone who leaves everything to follow Jesus will receive a reward that is at least 100 times better than anything this world has to offer. A hundred times better than your home, a hundred times better than your lands, a hundred times better than even your family. I think we could safely say that he's saying here, your reward in heaven is going to be a hundred times better than the very best thing that this world has to offer. Jesus is clearly saying that because Peter and the rest of his disciples put their trust in Jesus, left everything to follow him, and that everyone who responds to Jesus in this way will receive a great reward. It sort of seems like Jesus is saying that this is what it looks like to be an exceeds employee. There are great rewards waiting for believers in heaven. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus said this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. It seems pretty clear that in some way, this reward is connected to the way we live our life. It follows then that if we don't endure persecution, our reward will not be great. And Jesus tells his disciples and us this truth, why? Because he wants us to know it's worth it. Don't be like the rich young ruler who chose his riches and went away sad. What Jesus has to offer us is so much better than riches. Don't love the world and hold on to your sin. It's not worth it. Don't deny Jesus to avoid suffering. Go ahead and suffer, for great is your reward. Don't hold anything back from God. Don't hedge your bets with him, trying to love the world while still holding on to heaven. That's just not how it works. Embrace the life and the circumstances he's giving you. Embrace his commands as the way to a good and sweet life walking with him. 
Share the gospel generously. There's nothing to fear and only wonderful things to gain. Love your neighbor. Be generous. Be hospitable. Read your Bible. Pray. Get to know this wonderful God. Don't miss a chance to come and receive the means of grace through the preaching of the word and the sacraments. It's all worth it. And the one who is faithful with little will be entrusted with much. Jesus also says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus tells us about the reward. He encourages the disciples' faithfulness in leaving everything to follow him by simply telling them it's worth it. Because you really can lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And it's a hundred times better than anything this world has to offer. But what does the human heart tend to do with the prospect of rewards. We tend to make it a competition. We tend to think to ourselves, well, I really worked hard for God. I think I worked harder than that guy. I'm sure I suffered more than she did. Or we start to think about the reward that we're earning for ourselves, and we wonder, I wonder what kind of reward I'm gonna get. Jesus is talking about the disciples getting to judge the 12 tribes of Israel, boy. I wonder what I'm going to get. Or we just get terrified that I'm not doing enough. That I'm barely going to squeak in. Or we start to think we're earning it somehow. And then once we start to think we're earning it, we start to think we deserve it. And once we start to feel like we deserve it, we start to feel like we're owed something. And we start to demand that God treat us in a certain way. And we start to feel like it's unfair if he treats other people different than us. And so Jesus does not want his disciples to go down that road. So he tells them about the rewards because he wants them to know it is worth it. Then he says this, but... And this but here, this, is, this word is concessive. It's a, it's a contrary statement to everything that he said before. It means nevertheless. Nevertheless, it is also true that many who are first will be last and the last first. So what does that mean? Jesus says this to help us understand how we should be thinking about potential rewards. If we're working and serving and leaving everything to follow Jesus just for the reward, just to be an Exceeds employee, even if we are the most accomplished Christian in the world, even if we've earned first place in line, if we're doing it for the reward, we will be last. That's what Jesus is saying. So he tells us this story to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is really like. So what does this parable teach us? So Jesus has just assured us that those who follow him, even if it costs them everything, will be greatly rewarded. 
But then he warns us not to pursue the reward in and of itself. Don't work so you can be first place in line just to receive the reward because that's actually how you end up last place in line. Then he says this, for or because. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So notice Jesus is telling the story because he wants us to know something about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And given what he's just said about potential rewards, he's telling us this story so that we will know that in the kingdom of heaven, God is totally free to be as generous as he wants to be. And that's where we're going with the story, okay? So if we're comparing our rewards to how hard we think we worked versus how hard we think somebody else has worked, then we're missing the point. We also should not overlook the fact that Jesus is using a vineyard to describe the kingdom of heaven because in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is God's vineyard. Israel was supposed to be the place where people could come to know what the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus tells us about a vineyard owner who goes out very early in the morning or literally at dawn to hire workers for his vineyard. Now hiring laborers for a vineyard Uh, or any kind of agricultural work was a very common process, especially during harvest. And a denarius was the common wage for a day's work. Uh, It would have actually been a very generous wage for a day laborer. Even in our economy, we don't pay generally a day laborer as much as we do uh, the average worker. So, So, so far in the story then, there's nothing odd or surprising. We have a vineyard owner who is clearly supposed to be God, His vineyard is representing the kingdom of heaven, and he's doing something very common and expected of a vineyard owner, okay? But then Jesus goes on. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So the third hour would have been nine o'clock in the morning, The sixth hour would have been noon, and the ninth hour would have been three o'clock in the afternoon with only three hours left in the working day. We don't know why the vineyard owner has to keep going out to get more workers. All we know is that for some reason he's adding extra workers and he promises to pay them whatever is right. Now, if you're a day laborer in this economy and you miss, you know, the first sweep at dawn, where the owners come and hire vineyard workers, you're probably not gonna get any work that day. But you need to work. Because if you don't work, you don't get paid. So the fact that this man is offering them any work at all and promising to be fair with them is likely the best deal they can hope for at this point, and so they go. Now, it is odd that the owner would go out three more times to get workers. But you could sort of understand it if maybe he's disorganized or somehow these unexpected projects keep popping up throughout the day. But this is kind of strange. No matter what, especially hiring that group at three o'clock. But then the vineyard owner starts doing things that are just not understandable at all. We read this. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand 
here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So the 11th hour was 5 o'clock. There was one hour left of work in the day. Surely whatever work these workers could be doing in that last hour could easily be pushed off till the next day. Or maybe there was something that the owner needed extra workers for at the last minute, but it's hard to imagine how he would not have known that much earlier in the day. In fact, why didn't he just hire enough workers at the beginning of the day? So he doesn't have to keep going out and getting more. Especially because these workers all make it seem like they'd been here all day waiting to get hired anyway. Why doesn't he just hire them all first thing in the morning? So either way, no matter how you look at it, this whole situation doesn't make sense, but it gets even more confusing. Jesus goes on, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. What? Not only does it not make any sense that he even hired these workers for an hour, but it makes absolutely no sense that he's paying them an entire day's wage. I looked it up. The average worker in America makes approximately $220 a day. For 12 hours of work, not counting overtime, that would be about $18 an hour. For nine hours of work, that'd be about 20, what do I have here? $24 an hour. Uh, For six hours of work, that'd be $37 an hour. And even for three hours of work, that would be $73 an hour. All of those wages kind of make sense in our economy. But somebody making $220 an hour, that's, that's quite a wage. So what's the point of this story? Well, let's first talk about what this story is not teaching us. Jesus is definitely not telling us the best way to run our business. If, if you're a business owner or a farmer, uh, you should feel no obligation to use this story uh, as a principle for how you should deal with your employees. Jesus is also not telling us a story to remind us how important it is to know how many workers you need before you begin a project. No, he's telling us a story to help us know what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven is a place where God is always going out to get more people to bring into his kingdom and to work in his vineyard. And they're there not because it's harvest, not because God needs them for anything. Notice, Jesus never actually said the vineyard owner was hiring workers for harvest. We add that in our minds because we're desperately trying to figure out how to make sense of this story in the real world. No, God brings workers into his vineyard just because God is gracious and generous. Notice the thing the vineyard owners focused on most is just getting more people in. There's zero focus on the work that's being done. The vineyard owner is not hiring workers for his sake. He's bringing us into his kingdom for our sake. 
The only way this story makes any sense is if we see that the one thing this vineyard owner cares about is adding more workers to his kingdom. And Jesus is reminding us that he is a merciful and gracious king, the kind of king who pours out blessings on his people for no reason, regardless of their merit. And the reason we struggle to understand that is because apart from Christ, we are not like this. And that gets exposed in our hearts with the next thing we read. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. See, in the real world, this is unfair. It's easy for us to read the story and identify with these workers because we think, yeah, that, that does seem really unfair. Because we're born with this sense of fairness. How many times have you heard a child say, that's not fair? If I worked hard out in the field in the heat of the day, I should not be paid the same as someone who only worked for one hour. If I exceed expectations for my employer, if I outperform my fellow coworkers, I should be first in line for a raise or a promotion. If mom gives your brother an ice cream cone, barring any other behavior or failure on your part, you should get an ice cream cone as well. How many times have you gone to the grocery store and they open up a new checking lane and they come and get the person from behind you? You should get me. But that's the point. Jesus is not telling us what the real world is like. He's trying to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in the kingdom of heaven, do we really want God to judge us fairly? You see, in the kingdom of heaven, it's the fact that God would even invite us to work in his vineyard that should completely amaze us. Because we're not just innocent day laborers hoping for a job. We are rebels. We are insurrectionists. We are murderers who killed the vineyard owner's son and who would rather burn the vineyard down than go and work in it. And yet, in his grace, in his mercy, he comes and opens our eyes to see how wonderful it is to be under his rule and his kingdom and his vineyard doing whatever it is he calls us to do. And if once we're in the kingdom, if it seems like he's treating someone else better than he's treating us, that doesn't mean God is not good. It just means we don't yet understand how good and gracious he's been to us and how wonderful it is that we've been brought in to work in his vineyard in the first place. He should have left us at the marketplace, which is really the town square, waiting. The point of this story is that God is free to do whatever he wants and that everything he does is good and right and has a purpose. Jesus goes on. But the vineyard owner replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. 
Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? See, the vineyard owner had given them what they deserved. He never would have hired them in the first place. And even if we do look at this story, actually, from a worldly perspective, it is quite fair. They agreed to work for a denarius, and that's what he paid them. And he can be as generous as he wants to be with what belongs to him. You see, God gets to be merciful to whoever he wants to be merciful. He gets to have compassion on whomever he wants to have compassion because that's what it means to be God. But notice what happens to the workers who think the vineyard owner is somehow unfair. He tells them to take what belongs to them and go. Leave the vineyard then. If you think it's so unfair here in the kingdom of heaven, then go. If you think somehow God is unfair just because he chooses to deal with someone differently than you, then you are free to leave. And so, or thus, or in this way, or this is how the last will be first and the first last. They were first in the kingdom. They worked harder than anyone on behalf of the kingdom. But in the end, they left. They left the kingdom because they thought the king was unfair. This is the person who went to church their whole life, served on committees, served on council, shared the gospel, spearheaded the prayer ministry, but then walked away bitter when their spouse died or when their child died. They thought they should have been given more. They thought they had worked so hard for God's blessing. Which takes us to our final points. What does this parable mean for us? So the most important thing we need to know is that what made the first workers last is that they thought they should be first. That somehow by starting earlier, working longer, working harder, that they had earned something. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, there is no such thing as a Christian who exceeds expectations. In fact, there's not a single one of us who even meets expectations. And if we did happen to meet expectations, we would only be doing what is commanded and what is required. In Luke 17, Jesus tells this amazing story about this slave who's out in the fields all day working, and then he comes in and the master makes him cook him a meal first. And the implied response is, well, that seems unfair. This, this poor slave was working out in the field all day long too. Shouldn't he get to eat dinner too? And the master doesn't even thank him for serving him dinner. And then Jesus says this, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. You see, we cannot exceed expectations. 
We can't earn anything in the kingdom of heaven. We don't deserve a break. We haven't earned even a pat on the back. If we do not work in God's vineyard, if we do any work, sorry, in God's vineyard, the only thing we've done is our duty. And the point of this parable is that God is so generous and so merciful and so full of kindness and grace that he's willing to reward us as if we'd exceeded expectations. As if we'd all worked all day long out in the scorching sun. That's the kind of God we serve. So yes, Jesus encourages us that we will be rewarded for our suffering and for our labors, but not because we've earned it, but because God is that generous. Here's how the Heidelberg Catechism deals with this. Question, how can our good works be said to merit nothing when God promises to reward them in this life and the next? Answer, this reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Friends, everything is grace. Everything is a gift. Being in the kingdom is a gift. Our work in the vineyard is a gift. No matter how much work we devote to the kingdom, we are and always will be unworthy servants who've just done our duty. And if God calls us to serve him for a lifetime in the scorching sun, we do so out of love for our Savior who gave up his life for us. We do so knowing that he would never hold anything back from his children whom he loves. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So we should never be jealous of the 11th hour Christian. We celebrate that God would grant eternal life to even them, knowing that he has a purpose for our suffering, that he will reward us for taking up our cross every day and following him, not because we've earned anything, but because he's promised to graciously give us all things, including somehow the 11th hour Christian. The thief on the cross is the ultimate 11th hour Christian. We all celebrate how wonderful it is that Jesus welcomed him into paradise. But are we willing to celebrate when our brother or sister gets married while we're, while, while we're still single? Are we willing to celebrate the success of their business as we watch ours fold? Are we willing to celebrate their long life in the midst of our debilitating illness? Are we willing to trust God when the life we thought we earned falls apart? If the temptation that we're fighting never goes away? Are we willing to trust that we serve a good and gracious and merciful king who's promised to graciously give us all things, even when our life, the life we worked so hard to make for ourselves, turns into dust before our eyes? What's fascinating about this parable is that as long as the workers were grateful, for what the vineyard owner had done for them and promised them, 
they were content. But as soon as they began to compare themselves to each other, that's when they started to doubt the vineyard owner's goodness. That's when they started to begrudge his generosity. So if we're here today, no matter the circumstances of our lives, if we can say, I know that Jesus died for me, I know that God has called me into his vineyard to work for him in his kingdom, it doesn't matter what time of the day he called me, the fact that he even invited me in is the most amazing reality of my life, that I am his child by grace through faith, this, this is mind-blowing goodness, and that I know I serve a good and gracious king who is free to pour out his grace on whoever he wants, whenever he wants, and with however much he wants. And then no matter what I do, at the very most, I'm a slave who's only done what is commanded, and yet I serve a God who's promised to graciously give me all things, and that it is worth it to fight the good fight and finish the race and receive the crown of righteousness. It's worth it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are so thankful that the economy of your kingdom is so different. Because if we were to be judged according to purely the judgments of the kingdom, we would all have no hope. But we know that Jesus Christ came, and that he lived a life that is holy and pleasing to you, that he met and exceeded all of your expectations and that his righteousness becomes ours by faith alone, and that we are invited into your kingdom to live and to serve and to work because of your grace. God, help us to see it from this perspective. Help us to not envy our brothers and sisters, but to trust the goodness and the graciousness of our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So our response to the sermon this morning is going to be to come right to the table. The story that I told about Luke 17 where the slave isn't even allowed to eat before he has to serve his master. The interesting thing is Jesus is not even like that. He, he serves us. He did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he continues to serve us throughout our life by standing in the throne in heaven and continuing to plead on our behalf. Continuing to strengthen us. And then he serves us this meal. He says, you are so weak and so weary. The scorching sun is so hot. And I love you so much that I want you to taste and see that I am good. I want the senses of your flesh to be able to taste something real and to know that this points to something deeply spiritual. Not only will this feed you, but it will grow your faith, 
It will strengthen your love and your confidence that the kingdom is as Jesus says it is, that our master is as kind as Jesus says he is, and that even our struggles and our sufferings in this life are worth enduring in faith because he who gave up his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. Forgive us for the many, many thoughts of ingratitude that most of us have even had this very morning. Thank you that in repentance and faith, we can come to your table, be fed and served by you, because you are so kind and generous. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.